Hey, welcome to Tuesday Take. Today we're going to sit down with our student pastor, Alan Goodwin, and recap his sermon from Sunday and see some points that we can apply to our lives. Well, here we are. Uh, it's Tuesday morning, two days before Thanksgiving, and it is 72 degrees. How does that make you feel? Warm. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess that's the appropriate <laughs> response there. Um, well, here we are. Thank you for sitting down with me, Alan. Thank you for having me. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive into um, just some, some questions. Um, you talked Sunday about believers being together, and I think sometimes that can come off as we can't be with unbelievers because we have to be with believers. How does right. that like? How does that shake out to you? Well, I think the thing that we clearly see through Scripture is that God has made us with a need for relationships with each other, um, and of course, like as as believers, as the body of Christ, we need to be participating in that body with other believers, other members of the body of Christ. Um, so there is a call so often through Scripture for us to spend time together, and there's also kind of the, um, I guess, kind of a backhanded way of that as well. There's things, that you, if you look in the New Testament, there's calls to not neglect spending time together. So the, the call for believers to spend, to get, spend time together is very clear. Um, but for us as believers, there is that kind of tendency to hear that and say, well, then that obviously means that's got to um, come at the detriment of time with non-believers to the sense that I cut off relationships with people who don't believe um, in Jesus. Um, and that's kind of a difficult thing to then reconcile with all of Scripture. Yeah. So I think it involves taking a holistic view of it and especially a holistic view of the Great Commission, of what Jesus said are the greatest commandments, and really the way that Jesus lived his life is that Jesus had a core circle of people who followed him, who genuinely followed him, but there's also a member of that circle who did not, uh, not to make that a major point or anything, but just to show that even those that that Jesus kept around him, not all of them um, were, I guess we can easily say, great people. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of things he had to work through through that. Um, but he had this core group of believers who followed him, but he had these crowds and crowds of people who came after him and he spent time with and had many conversations with, I'm sure, and shared meals with and provided meals for and um, healed them and all these different things. He had a large kind of crowd of people that were following him, and many of them we know did not believe him. Yeah. So that is a thing that we see even from the pattern of his life, that Christ spent time with those who did not believe in him yet. And I think that is a great example for us as believers. All the people that we see that Jesus led to himself, that he called to repentance to the kingdom of God, that had to start with someone who did not know Jesus. Yeah. And the same for us as believers. You know, we as believers, we've been invited into family with God. And I love that when we look in Galatians, the idea of adoption, but that even implies that we've been brought from outside the fold to into it. And that invitation that we've been extended is the same one that we go out to and extend to the rest of the world to join us in fellowship as as believers. So there has to be time spent around people who don't yet believe. Yeah. Um, but also, just on a personal note, I just think that we're we're called to make relationships, not sever them. You know, and mm. it's and it's a hard thing to go around and just 
sever. We talked with our students a few weeks ago at our retreat and about how there are often difficult conversations that we have to have with friends, and, and it can be hard. And there's been times in my life where I've had to look at the people that I allowed. We talked about on Sunday these yoked-type relationships, these people that we're really close to. There's been times where I've looked and, and saw that there are people who I'm allowing to have a big influence on my life mm. who do not push me to live more like Jesus. Yeah. And sometimes that involves a decision. But again, looking to the pattern of Jesus, um, if it happened, we don't really see it, you know, but he looked at the multitudes of people who followed him, who he knew um, in his wisdom were not after him because of true, truly wanting relationship. They just wanted, you know, fish and bread and <laughs> to see sick people not be sick anymore. Yeah. And he said things to them that were very hard, like, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yeah. Or hate your father or mother, or things like that, like very difficult things. And we kind of call those line in the sand moments. So it's like he drew a line in the sand and said, from here on out, things will be different. And that's 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 a conversation that we ought to um, really consider having with those close to us, especially those who don't know Jesus, because you have a responsibility to pursue Christ-like character in your life. And to surround yourself with people close to you who push you to live more like Jesus but part of that also is that you have to be that person too yeah you have to be the person who's pursuing Christ-like character you have to be the person who's pursuing godliness um, so sometimes that it does involve conversations with our um, lost friends or maybe even lost family members and being able to say look I, I have to uh, pursue Christ-like character because it's it's who I am it's who God has made me to be um, so kind of that line in the sand moment from here on out, things are going to look different. And then that's a completely different thing. Cause at that point you're not cutting off a relationship. You're inviting them into new relationship, um, with someone who's striving to live like Jesus. So that is a long, very long winded <laughs> way to come around to saying like, it is kind of complicated, but I would stand by the fact that the people that are very close to us who have a tremendous amount of influence on in our life, we ought to be very careful. Yeah. in the least with what type of influence that is. And we should, and it'd be my hope, especially for our young believers who I minister to, that they would allow the people who are very close to them and influence them to be people who influence them towards Jesus, not away from him. Yeah. Um, and also that we would be that same person. So that does involve being that same person for people who don't know Jesus as well. So we do need to maintain our relationships with non-believers, but always, always keeping in the forefront that, you know, it's God's desire that they be redeemed and unified through Christ, and so that should be our desire as well. Yeah. Um, you talked about our sin and how God doesn't delight in our sin at all, but sometimes we make excuses for other people's sin or we make excuses for sin in our lives. Um, why do you think that is? Well, we actually said God doesn't find our sin cute, and that is uh, kind of nonsensical and kind of funny a little bit, but... It really is true that God does not delight in my sinfulness, and God does not delight in my sinful attitudes, behaviors, or actions. Um, but that's contrasted with the way that the world very much not only finds those things attractive or cute, really delights in them and yeah. glorifies those things. Um, the only glory that God is concerned with is his own, right? So there's this kind of this stark contrast that we need to be aware that the world does not think um, at this point, a broken world does not think like God does. So the things that the world glorifies are not what God glorifies. Um, 
so kind of bearing with that, I just think that we have this pattern for us as believers that we find ourselves maybe kind of joining with the world and kind of celebrating certain things. And a big one that I see a lot is um, we kind of talk about sin for each other as if those are our redeeming qualities. So we talk about each other's sin as if that makes us who we are. So if I'm a man or a woman who really, you know, let's say I really speak my mind, right? Like I, you know, I'd be known as that person who doesn't really take any mess from anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. or I say what's on my mind and all that. You know, we really glorify that in our culture sometimes, and we really talk about that as if it's like this big redeeming thing, um, whereas Scripture talks much more about humility and talks much more about meekness and talks much more about um, almost wrangling our tongue instead of being enslaved to it. And I know that's a small thing, and I think that we should be able to speak in confidence to people but at the same time, like, what a slippery slope that is. Yeah. To where we can find ourselves glorifying sin instead of pushing each other towards Christ-like character. Another thing is that, you know, we see in our in our culture a lot, people, um, this idea of, of modesty, we tend to struggle with that a lot. And, you know, it's not, you know, when people hear that, they might immediately think that's just a um, thing for our, you know, sisters in Christ, that it's just for women, but it's it's totally not anymore. That's yeah, the thing that right. men and women completely struggle with modesty. And we get into this point where even we celebrate so much about our physical appearance with one another and the way that we might flaunt our physical appearance, which directly opposes to what scripture teaches about mm-hmm. our appearance and teaches about modesty. Um, and those are just a couple examples. Like we said Sunday, the list goes on and on. Like, I just think we have a tendency to kind of look towards things that really either are directly sinful, you know, maybe that we wouldn't get into necessarily on the podcast, (laughs) or things that we look at as being kind of like fruits of sin, sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, sinful actions or behaviors. And we tend to celebrate those things. At the very least, we don't look at them negatively. Yeah. We almost encourage them. Mm -hmm. Um, I just find that to be troublesome when we look at the rest of Scripture. And, you know, I, I never forget that, I don't even know the exact quote, but or who told it to me. Um, like how the message of it is, Satan delights when we laugh at the things Christ had to die for. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to be found doing that. Yeah. I don't want to be found as someone who is delighting himself in the sin of myself or others when that is what Christ had to die for. Yeah. So God doesn't find my sin cute. In fact, he was broken over it and broke himself over it so yeah. that kind of thing so piggybacking off of that um <clears throat> you talked about honoring each other um how can we honor each other whenever that struggle with culture is to say no 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 no, no. we're going to praise you for doing that so how do we how do we find ourselves in a, a culture of honoring each other as believers yeah that's a good question and i think a, a big part of it is that you almost can kind of look at it as the opposite first and say, what are the ways that we dishonor each other? So I think that that's a, sometimes a good way to start. Sometimes you can be so far gone um, that you almost have to look and be like, all right, before I start talking about how to do these things, maybe I need to start looking at the things yeah. I should cease doing. Start backwards, yeah. Right, so that's kind of one of the things is that I think we're, it, one of the reasons why it's so difficult to honor each other is because we're so good at dishonoring each other. Mm. 
it's so hard to respect each other because we're so good at disrespecting each other. Yeah. Um, so I have to look at my own life and say, what are the ways that I don't honor people? Um, and one of the conditions of honor that we talked about on Sunday is that it's not expecting anything in return. So to truly honor, respect, you know, love our neighbors, all those things, like, is not expecting anything to be reciprocated, right? So it's, it's selfless. It's caring about other people before ourselves. It's putting others' needs before our own is what it truly means to go and honor someone, to, to hold them in high regard and to hold them in, in high esteem. Um, so for my life, I look and I see that, man, there's a lot of ways where I don't do that. I kind of do the opposite. So what are the areas of my life that I tend to be very self-seeking? What are the areas of my life where I tend to, you know, maybe be really good at giving someone a, you know, credit or praise or a shout out because I expect something in return. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so it's changing that and being able to look and say, what are the ways that I'm maybe not honoring each other or I'm trying to give myself more honor than other people? And number one, stopping those things, <laughs> not doing that anymore. But then there's some practical ways that we can really honor each other. A great way to honor each other is to speak to each other. A great way to honor each other and respect each other is to um, get to know each other. And a huge way that that fleshes out for us as believers is to be praying for each other. Yeah. You aren't, I mean, there's, there's not much else that I could do to, to say that I love, respect, and honor someone than to devote myself in prayer to them. Mm. And a big part of that is conversation. I actually just got off the phone uh, with a brother in Christ earlier today who called me to just to pray with me. And That's awesome. That is very awesome, and that is very encouraging. Um, and he didn't do it because he wanted something in return. He didn't do it because, you know, you know, I want to call and pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to do this thing for me. <laughs> or I'm going to call and pray for you and then ask that you pray for me back even. It was simply just like, man, you're on my mind. You're on my heart. I want to pray for you. That's awesome. That helps a tremendous amount. So, I mean, and that's a simple thing. And it's a very simple thing to be able to have those kind of phone calls or text messages or things like that. But just seeking to put others' needs before our own, seeking to think about each other um, before we think about ourselves. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think that looking at this and especially harking back to um, justifying sin in our lives and other people's lives, um, I think sometimes we can look at bearing fruit and behavior modification, and that's a very thin line between the two um, because I can read self-help books to make me a better person, but that doesn't mean right. I'm doing that because Jesus is doing something inside of me. Right. So how do we find the, the difference in those? Hmm. Yeah, because we want, you know, we want our churches to be full of people who are um, living differently, of course. We want our churches and we want our communities to be people. We want better fathers in our churches and our communities. Yeah. Right? We want better parents. We want all these things. Um, we want people who love each other better and do all those things. But if that is absent from Jesus, then we've missed the point. And Scripture is very clear in what, like, the fruits of the Spirit are and what it kind of looks like. And I love in Galatians 5 when it kind of gives the stark difference between, you know, what are the works of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. If you want to read on that, it would be starting in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Um, and really, as you start going through what the works of the flesh are, 
so many of those or those <laughs> things we talked about earlier, those things that we kind of, if you're talking, when I said the list goes on and on, here is the list. Go to Galatians 5 on, on your own time and read that, and you will see these lists of things that we tend to glorify in yeah. each other. But then piggybacking off of that, says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's more than just being a better person. Yeah. Right? And that's more than just some behavior modification. But there has to be something that um, we as believers, we've got to kind of change our ideas. I think sometimes we just want we just want the people around us to look more like us than we want them to look like Jesus. Ooh. So we want people to clean up their act a little bit mm. more than we want them to come to Jesus. So it's it would make it easier for me to maintain relationship with you if you stop this addiction or if you stop this habit or if you stop thinking and acting in this way, yeah. whatever it might be. It'd be easier for me if you would do that. And there's a genuine care in there because we're like, and I think it'd be better for you. You know, it's the tendency that we have. Um, we have families um, all across um, church culture who want their kids in church simply to keep them out of trouble. Yeah. Right. And it's less of I want my kids to be around believers so they can be made more like Jesus, um, so they can see other people seeking after Jesus, and so that they would know Jesus and then bear fruit. Um, so I think it's reminding ourselves what the fruits of the Spirit actually are, and knowing that if it's the, if it's the fruits of the Spirit, then that has to, you know, hinge on the Holy Spirit living inside someone. It's got to be about Jesus, because if it's just behavior modification, you're right. I mean, man, any self-help book, anything like that, um, we can change habits. Yeah. You can go you can go long enough without things or doing certain things, and you can change your habits and become what the world would consider a better person. But if we're only devoted and caring about morals um, and not about Christ, I think we're just kind of missing the mark there. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, time for our nonsensical question uh, of the day. Uh, before also, we do that, before yeah. we do that, y'all, this is hard. <laughs> this is really hard. It was much different last week when it was just kind of piggybacking every yeah. every uh, few minutes there with James. James is very wise. Shout out, James. Shout out to Reverend. Shout out to James. He's in Disney World right now. <laughs> it's easy for me. I'm just asking questions. Uh, <laughs> but uh, nonsensically, um, what is your favorite part of Thanksgiving? Hmm. My favorite part of Thanksgiving. I guess this is more sentimental than nonsensical. So, right. Put on those heartstrings. My favorite part of Thanksgiving. It's not something I've gotten to do over the last. God, I don't know how many years. Um, listen to me talking like I'm old or something. <laughs> My favorite part of Thanksgiving is probably the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah, I really love the Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's kind of a dream of mine. I'd love to be in New York. Um, one year and be able to go to the parade. But really, it's the parade kind of becomes the moment where I no longer have to feel guilty <laughs> about celebrating <laughs> Christmas early. There is a 80-foot-tall fat man in a red suit who comes down the street in New York City yeah. and says, it is now okay to celebrate Christmas. It's time. And I no longer have to you know, feel ashamed of that. I no longer have to put on some charade. I go to my bedroom after the parade and I put on all of my Christmas stuff and then I wear it to Thanksgiving meal. Um, so I guess my favorite, really, as you start to unpack that a little bit, I guess my favorite part of Thanksgiving is when it ends. <laughs> and then I can start, um, 
man, just, you know, celebrating Christmas, which is, you know, probably a lot better than the story of Thanksgiving. And, um, you I mean, know, yeah, I, not I to, have to agree. Not, <laughs> not start throwing shade or anything, oh, but, man, uh, man it's, hard to, it's hard to talk about Thanksgiving and Christmas and not just clearly say Christmas yeah. is better. I'm trying to figure out how I can write a Thanksgiving song or two. Yeah, uh, hey, I tell just, people all the time, if there's Thanksgiving songs, I'll listen to them. <laughs> But the problem is you got Halloween movies and and some and some spooky songs. You got nothing for Thanksgiving. You really don't. And then it's Christmas time. Yeah. It's just an appetizer for Christmas. That's all <laughs> it is. Uh I don't mean to literally rain on your parade. Um not rain, but there's a wind advisory in New York this week for Thursday. And so they're saying that they may not have the balloons this year. Strap them to trucks. <laughs> Driving to trucks. We're in Louisiana. You can bring it down here, and we can just change it. We can Mardi Gras style this. Man, take it down the French Quarter. Oh, um, how awesome would that be? I, I'd be a little afraid. As our resident Cajun, <laughs> would they pronounce it any different? Than that, there's Macy's a lot of Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah. They really might. You yeah. know, now that you say that, they really might. I would. I don't know. I think we should start a petition. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just see how that goes. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with me today and uh, going back over what we talked about Sunday. Um, Great insight, uh, great word, uh, and I appreciate you, man. Thanks, man.